The Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome back to Just Love. Just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. Um, The world we live in is a world in which there is a lot of lack of compassion. There is a lot of injustice. And some of that these days, sadly, is around the issue of religion. And religion is supposed to be um, that which kind of uplifts. It talks to about deeper values within the human person. It talks about being faithful to God. And what we're finding in far too many places in the world, not only is religious divisive, but sometimes religious people use their religious beliefs to oppress others and to persecute others and to curtail their freedom. And so today, as we approach the Memorial Day weekend, in which we recall that a lot of people have died because of violence and, you know, some of that does wind up being a result of religious beliefs, tragically, we have as our guest, Professor Paul Marshall, who is the director of the Freedom Institute of South Southeast Asia Action Team, and he is professor of religious freedom at Baylor University. So um, it is, I am delighted that uh, Professor Marshall is with us today, and we're going to talk about some of the work of the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom. Professor Marshall, thank you for joining us on Just Love. Okay, thank you very much for for having me. So give our listeners just a little bit of a sense of how did you wind up now teaching at Baylor University? Give them a little sense of your, uh, your background. Okay, well, I have a very weird background. I suppose most of us do. Okay. My early, I, I used to be a professional geologist. Okay. Uh, that's how I ended up in North America from, from England. But um, I then became in, in, in Toronto, Canada, a professor of uh, political philosophy. Uh, one of my areas was religious freedom, but mainly historically and theoretically. But in the um, early 90s, I was um, asked to help the Evangelical World Evangelical Alliance, which was forming a commission to deal with uh, religious persecution in the world, and would ask me to be an advisor to that. And I said, well, any advice I've got, you, you, can, you can have. But I really don't know much about religious freedom in the world right now, uh, the history and other things. No, we need, what do we mean by religious freedom? We need a statement of principles. We need to know how we relate to, say, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. That's, we're interested in that. I said, well, that I can do. So I went to that meeting and was hearing reports about religious persecution firsthand. We had people there from from China, Vietnam, Iran, um, Egypt, um, uh, Peru. And um, 
they're describing firsthand what was going on. And uh, this was stuff I had almost never heard before. It simply wasn't in the newspapers. It was like entering a parallel universe. And I thought, um, I'm a professor of political philosophy. I don't know about it. So most people don't. So I started um, reading, learning, traveling, and then uh, writing about this. And that was the time in the 1990s when this was becoming a, a big issue in the United States. And that, uh, so I moved to the U.S. then and to work specifically in this area. And then with that movement in the 1990s in the U.S., one of the things that produced was the um, an act on uh, international religious freedom. And one of the provisions of, of that act was the creation of the U.S. Commission on International Freedom, which you had just mentioned also created a special office in the State Department on religious freedom and called on the State Department to issue an annual report on the state of religious freedom in the world. And uh, the latest version of that report just came out earlier this month. Ah, well, thank you so much. And I'm delighted that you uh, have taken taken this up. Now, the report that is issued, as you said, is issued every year, um, you know, lists a number of countries in which there's concern or large concern or moderate concern on that. And one of the areas that I think you um, have a particular interest in is South and Southeast Asia. And um, so can you share with our listeners a little bit about the state of religious freedom there? Okay, if we we take the, uh, you know, the, those countries vary tremendously, somewhere like Thailand is pretty religiously free, a place like Burma or Myanmar is, is highly repressive, but let's look at the biggest country in that area, over half the population would be um, India. And I, uh, I'm I'm not sure what our viewers and listeners would know about India. So uh, why don't we, Professor? Let's let's assume, like me, I'm not terribly knowledgeable. So give us just a little bit of lay the land of the religious scene in India. Okay. Well, the uh, often there's a popular image in the West. We think of of sort of gurus, which is simply Hindi for teacher. Um, and a sort of largely uh, peaceful place. Uh, most Indians are, are peaceful. Um, but there's also radical Hindu movements, uh, which can be very violent. There is um, a huge amounts of religious violence going on in India, uh, occurring um, almost every day. And there are many reasons for this, but one of them is you get very radical forms of Hinduism in India. And um, they're stressing very strongly that India is Hindu where it should be uh, for Hindus. It's They have the same root. India and, and Hindu uh, mm-hmm. come from the same root word. They sound the same. But they're saying basically India for the Hindus and the Muslims here, the Christians here and the others 
maybe they they could stay, but they have to realize that um, Hinduism is hegemonic. And uh, that produces a lot of religious intolerance. So you get attacks mainly on Muslims, but um, uh, also on Christians. So that's been increasing. The present um, government of India, uh, ruled by the BJP party, which has been in the, uh, oh boy, you know, decade and a half now, has its roots in this movement. That doesn't mean that all the BJP people are pushing for violence, but it's still very much a form of, of Hindu nationalism, which is the, and um, many of the, the states in India have passed anti-conversion laws that, um, and ostensibly those laws are framed to stop bribery and things. It says you cannot offer an inducement for someone to convert. Well, I think all of us would agree with that. You know, if you're saying, you know, if, if you decide you, you're going to become a Christian, we'll give you a hundred dollars or a new house or something. That's that's highly unethical. But the word inducement is written so broadly that if you were to say to someone, um, God will forgive your sins, that's an inducement. So you couldn't say anything which might imply that life would be better for you as a Christian. That's an inducement. You could go to prison if you if you say that. Uh, but then what possible reason could you, could you give someone to convert? You would just say, no, nothing can be better or worse between them. So that happens. And when people uh, do convert, there are often riots. Um, they are attacked. Anybody uh, suspected of evangelism would be um, uh, maybe attacked. They might run to uh, the police, uh, might not help them much, but often you'll go to the police station because you're safer in a jail than you are outside. Um, with this mob violence. So those anti-conversion laws are um, a part of that, and that stirs up a lot of um, a lot of the violence that we're seeing. We're speaking with Professor Marshall, who is at Baylor University. He is the professor of the Wilson Professor of Religious Freedom. Uh, again, just to set a little bit of stage for me and our listeners, when you talked about India and Hindus, Muslim, Christians, what's the percentage of the population in each of those religious groups? Uh, if you're you're looking at Christians, that's about three percent. Okay. Uh, you're looking at Muslims, you're getting on to more like 15, 20 percent. And then there's uh, several million Sikhs, there are Buddhists and other groups. Uh, but then you're you're dealing with the majority of over eighty percent Hindu, so um, it's not like fifty one percent. No, I mean it is it is overwhelmingly a Hindu country. Yeah. Okay. And again, I know it's hard because it's a characterization, but what? How much of that would you say is kind of the radical Hindu element? Uh, it is hard to say because it's not radical, moderate, right. it, it's sort of a sliding scale. There are right. people who might share the views of radicals but aren't going to go around attacking people. Um, it's just right. they resent others. But you're dealing with um, 
of people who support a Hindu nationalist agenda that is India for Hindus first may not be in terms of discrimination, but in what's taught in the schools and so on. Um, well, the, the BJP party, which um, supports that, you know, gets over half the votes in the country. Right. So in some form or another, uh, people support them. Uh, now, some of that, it's also been very successfully economically. So a lot of people don't share the agenda. Say, well, you know, I don't like them, but that you know they're making the railroads run on time, so I'm going to do that. But uh, I would say you're dealing with, depending on how you define it, ten, twenty, thirty percent of that more nationalist idea of the people who would engage in violence. I don't know, one uh, percent. But India yeah. has. Um, a lot of people. So you got, that means 14 million people. Right. So professor, so professor Marshall, I understand the conversion laws, but you know, in a lot of religion, there's not a lot of conversion. You're just living the religion. Not everybody is trying to convert, but yeah. are there other ways if, you know, you're not trying to convert, like, is there the persecution because you can't get a certain type of job or is there housing persecution or other ways that that people who are not Hindu, Muslims or Christians, that they're persecuted or discriminated against? Yeah, you have in India um, a system of what they call reserved castes. That is, uh, people, uh, because of a history or present reality of being downtrodden, uh, have a sort of affirmative action. So you have jobs set aside in the government. A certain number of the jobs must go to those those people in pensions, uh, access to land and other things. Um, they're given priority. And uh, that can overlap with caste too. So you, you have uh, people uh, called Dalits, we used to call them sort of untouchables, but lower castes. And um, they get certain benefits from the government because of that low status. But if a Dalit, say a Hindu Dalit, becomes a Christian, the government says, well, as a Christian, you really can't be a Dalit anymore uh, because that's a sort of category within Hinduism. So you're cut out of those benefits. So a, a, a Christian Dalit would... Um, doesn't get the benefits of other Dalits, um, even though they're still in that very low status they had before. Even, I'm very sad to say, often amongst Christians, you still get that sort of hierarchy persisting there. So you get that that type of um, discrimination. There's been crackdowns on uh, non-governmental organizations uh, often uh, Christian ones doing relief work in the country. Um, government's agenda, some of the government's agenda seems to be to want to get um, any of these Christian groups out of there, even if what they're doing is relief work or running schools. Oh, as an aside, by the way, a large number of the governing party, the BJP, a large number of its senior figures were educated in Christian schools because they tend to be the best schools in the country. So, um, and they sort of attack Christian schools as agents of conversion, 
but often quite happy to send their own children there because yeah. they get a good education. So, Professor Marshall, okay, if we look at the trends, are things getting worse there or are they getting better or staying the same? What's your perception? Uh, they're getting worse. The um, the levels of violence seem to be increasing. I'm seeing uh, reports of this uh, several times a week. And um, th- because things are getting more tense, so you have sort of eruptions. You had one in Orissa, uh, a, a program against Christians about 10 years ago. Um, over 100,000 people had to flee. But there's another one now smaller in the northeast of um, India, in the state of uh, Manipur. Uh, you've had uh, conflict over the last several weeks. And it's it's complicated. Um, but you've had probably several hundred churches burnt down in Manipur in, in the last month. Really? Uh, That's a, that sounds yeah. amazing. Really? Yeah. And this is not in our uh, in most of our media. Uh, about 40,000 people have fled. And um, who reports 60, 70 dead? And wow. this is a this is complex. It's not a, a simple, clean religious thing, but you have uh, in that area you have um, a, a tribe called the uh, uh, tribal people called the Kuki, who have um, what I mentioned before reserve status of sort of uh, certain access to government and other programs because of of the the low status. They tend to live in the hills and are mostly Christian. Uh, then down in the valley, so it's the hill people and the valley people, but you have the Meite, a separate ethnic group. Um, and uh, they are mainly Hindu. The Meite people had applied, and the, local, and the government of the area ostensibly gave them sort of reserved status. So the, um, and that erupted, uh, the uh, Kukis objected, uh, the Meite, there was a, a scramble who started, I don't know, but that erupted into violence between these, these groups. And they had to send the military in there. There's 10,000 armed soldiers holding them yeah. down. But the background there is, is these religious tensions. And while it might have not have started with religion, that comes out, and so you're starting to get the attacks on churches. Yeah. Professor Marshall, boy, I learned a whole lot, and I'm sure our listeners did. I mean, it is just amazing to me that 45 churches, you know, were burned down. Um, and, you know, not, I didn't see anything in the news, not that I'm the arbiter of that, but it is amazing to me how so much of this can go under the radar screen. And then, so I thank you for thank spending you some much. time with us to enlighten us. And, and thank you for the work that you do in raising up such an important topic. Okay, well, thank you very much. It was a great pleasure to be with you. Great. <laughs> Professor Paul Marshall, who is the director of the Religious Freedoms Institute, South and Southeast Asia Action Team. He's also the Wilson Professor of Religious Freedom at Baylor University. 
And um, I'm glad we got to raise up an important topic, but with some pretty uh, disheartening news about the continued um, persecution of people because of their religion mixed in with some other things. So thank you for being with us on Just Love. We'll take a break and we'll be back in just a moment. Just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. Our world will be more just and more compassionate. We'll be back in a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Okay. Thank you, Professor Marshall. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, take good care. Bye-bye. Thank Thanks so much Thank again. Bye-bye. So, Ms. here, when we come back, that's excellent. We made it right. Mm. Perfect. Mm. So, when we come back, uh, we have three minutes, basically. And when do we come back? We can come back whenever time you want to. And uh, and the other the other uh, the other part of the show, Monsignor, of course, was uh, having ha- having to do with the uh, uh, with the with the ship that just was coming into. Right. Right. Um, so why don't we come back at thirteen fifty one. Thirteen fifty one. Or or you mean, yeah, at, at, at one fifty one, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. OK. 151 we will all right that gives me then we got 10 seconds yep five four three two one welcome back to just love just love god just love your neighbor just love yourself and our world will be more just and it will be more uh compassionate you know this memorial day weekend a weekend in which maybe in some ways It's the beginning of summer where people tend to make sure that they go outside. The weather hopefully is nice in different parts of the country. Um, But it also is the weekend in which we tragically remember that too many people have died in war. And uh, certainly the world in which we live in, you know, is not a very peaceful place. And while Oh, maybe it's been many, many years until since we've had a world war Um, and many years since there was the dropping of the nuclear bomb uh, in Japan. That doesn't mean that the world is not uh, dangerous and the wars now tend to be more local. But whether it's local, civil uh, and war is really never civil, but if it's inside a country or whether it's across borders, still people die and people are hurt. And oftentimes at the end of the day, when there's a war, it's those who are poorest and most vulnerable who suffer, suffer the most. Yes, the soldiers who are in battle and they, some of them tragically die, but it is a it, it it affects people everywhere, and you know currently the the tragic situation in the Ukraine is still on everybody's mind, but it's not the only place. There's violence every place. So on this kind of Memorial Day weekend, I think we should remember that our Catholic tradition, our Catholic tradition, while it does recognize that there are occasions when war is justified. It certainly says that war should be the last resort. Every other means to resolve conflict peacefully should be tried before a war might be justified. 
So anyway, this is the Memorial Day weekend. Let's keep people in our prayers. And uh, thank you for being with us on Just Love. Just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and more compassionate. Join us again next week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Let's get back to Just Love and your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. If you hear the song I sing, you will understand. So welcome. We talk about what's going on in the world. We talk about a variety of things that are uh, on people's minds, what's going on in the world and how our Catholic values impact those. Clearly, you know, one of the things that is very, very important from our perspective is, you know, global solidarity. And I mean, I know this sounds incredibly simple and maybe a little bit naive. Uh, but one of those issues is that we don't have wars with one another, you know, and that we, uh, you know, live in peace with each other as nations. And now, certainly what we've learned in the past 75 years is that you don't need to employ nuclear weapons in order to do incredible amount of destruction, incredible amount of killing incredible amount of violence and and pain and suffering. So 
eliminating nuclear weapons does not in any way mean that we're going to be a wonderfully peaceful world. At the same time, the ability of nuclear weapons to be so destructive and just have an exponentially greater destructive impact in the taking of lives primarily, but also of property, means that we got to be very careful with nuclear weapons. And the reduction of them has been a major part of kind of world conversations among nations, oh, for decades upon decades upon decades. So today I am very pleased that we are going to have as our guest, Helen Jacquard, who is the manager of the Golden Rule Project, which is part of Veterans for Peace. So I'm delighted as we kind of approach um, this Memorial Day weekend in which, you know, we recall the fact that too many people did die in war, that we're kind of talking with Helen about um, this, the Golden Rule Project, and how that seeks to make our world more peaceful. Um, Helen Jacquard, thank you for joining us on Just Love. Thank you, Kevin. Nice to be here. Um, so um, would you um, tell me, um, <clears throat> the give, me, give our listeners just a little bit of the background of, of yourself. How did you kind of come to the present role and position that you are in? Well, first of all, I think a couple of minutes just spent on the what the project is, what the boat is, might um, might be appropriate. So I'm going to go ahead with that. Um, the Golden Rule is a boat that it's a little boat that has a big mission to try to stop the possibility of nuclear war. It's owned by Veterans for Peace, and as veterans, they know the cost of war. And part of our project is to expose the cost of war. Um, and to help to end nuclear weapons. So um, in from 1946, right after World War II to 1958, the United States used 67 nuclear weapons in the Marshall Islands. That's You go from California to Hawaii and go that much further, that's where the Marshall Islands was, is. And so people were trying to get these nuclear weapons testing stopped, and because they were unable to do so with ordinary means, this group of Quakers decided to buy a boat and sail it to the Marshall Islands and just get in the way of the nuclear weapons testing. So they did that. And, um, well, they only made it to Honolulu. And they resupplied and they got out into the Pacific and the Coast Guard caught up with them and brought them back with the crew under arrest. People were so upset by the arrest of the crew of the Golden Rule, they decided that they would have massive demonstrations, letters to the editor, everything they could think of to try and free the crew of the Golden Rule, but also to stop the nuclear weapons tests. This brought about such a huge movement in the United States that gave President Kennedy the cover that he needed to sign the Nuclear Test Ban Treaty of 1963. Now, remember, Kennedy was perhaps our only Catholic president. I think Catholicism is important in this discussion. So at any rate, after the boat was um, sold in 1958 and the weapons testing was stopped, 
The boat was sold to private hands and wasn't seen again until 2010 when she sank in a gale in Northern California. And Veterans for Peace and Quakers and a lot of wooden boat builders, lovers, got together and rebuilt the Golden Rule and set her back a sail on an anti-nuclear mission. And so from 2015 to now, she's sailed up and down the Pacific coast, all around the Hawaiian Islands. And now we're doing an 11,000 mile, over year long voyage to visit over a hundred cities and towns to talk about stopping the possibility of nuclear war. So, so that's kind of how I stand here. So where, where'd the idea for this come from? Well, the original idea, I don't know. Um, they were talking about, you know, they'd written letters to the editor and tried to call Congress and the president. They had demonstrations in the street. And that's why they decided they needed to change tactics and just bought this boat and decided to try to sail her to stop, stop the weapons testing. Now, so when she sank in Humboldt Bay in far northern California in 2010, she was going to be used for firewood by the boatyard owner, and Veterans for Peace got wind of that and the and about the history of the Golden Rule, and they decided to restore her and put her back on a you know nuclear abolition mission. But how come they decided to use a boat and sail there? Well, I think it's a big Catholic worker kind of tradition to do kind of unusual things and end up getting arrested. Um, so I think that the Quakers, they're not just pacifists, they're also activists. And I think there was kind of a similar thing going on there. I've spent a lot of time recently with Quaker, um, uh, what do you call it, Catholic worker people. And they do a lot of things like they'll cut the fence of a nuclear weapons facility and go in there and spill blood and pray and get arrested for that, right? So Catholics have been against nuclear weapons for a long time. And there's these Catholic workers are super activists. Most of them have spent a lot of time in jail. They're like big recidivists. They go back again and again. And a lot of it's in, um, in favor of getting rid of nuclear weapons. Mm. So now they got a big now they got a big boat. They have a now, right now. Veterans for Peace has a bigger boat. Now she's not very big. She no, no, can no, sleep no, 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 no. The Catholic worker people in Dorothy Day they now got a big boat. They got the Staten Island Ferry, which is named after Dorothy Day. Oh right, yes. So they they got a big boat, which uh, could go a uh, far away. How big is the Golden Rule sailboat? How big is it? Well, she's 39 feet overall, but she's only 30 feet at the waterline. So she's pretty small for an ocean-going boat. Have you been but on very it? Very sturdy. Have you been on it? Oh, yeah. I was crew for almost all of the first eight years. Okay. And where's it hanging out now these days? She just got to New York City yesterday afternoon. Okay. That is... So we trekked her from... Yeah, we trekked her from California... And went down the center of the country and then around the tip of Florida, visited Cuba. And then now we're headed up towards um, Portland, Maine. Uh, I, I have to admit, I have to admit uh, that my geography is not really super, super good. But how do you get from California to New York by water? Do you go through the Panama Canal? 
You could, but we didn't. We used a big truck to take her from California to Minneapolis. So I'm I'm thinking, now Helen, I, I don't mean to be whatever, but I think that's cheating. Yes, very much so. Right. All Golden right. Rule has actually been through the Panama Canal and back again. Ah. But did you it can't it can't be done anymore? Oh, okay. So when they widened the Panama Canal a few years ago and deepened it and let the biggest of the superboats go through there, now they don't let the little boats go through anymore. Ah, that's too bad. That's too bad. So, okay, let's go. We're speaking with Helen Jacquard, who is the manager of the Golden Rule Project of the Veterans for Peace. So what is, are, are there some policy objectives that uh that are part of this project what would um what would you like to see in terms of nuclear weapons well in terms of nuclear weapons we would like to see them all dismantled and all of the nuclear weapons that exist we would like to see them taken apart and in a way that you couldn't put them back together again so what we're looking for Universal around the world, verifiable, irreversible, time-bound dismantling of the whole nuclear system. Okay, and um, and again, I I think you probably realize that that achieving that objective is certainly not something that you see in the short in the short term. Well, you never know. I mean, remember that when Gorbachev approached Reagan about getting rid of nuclear weapons and trying to get us down to zero at that time, they did manage to get from 70 or 80,000 nuclear weapons that existed in the world then down to the 13,000 that exist in the world today. So we've had a huge success already. Now we need to have another one. And it could be built around the United Nations Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. I think the Vatican was the first to sign it. And it makes everything about nuclear weapons illegal, including possession, threat to use, using them, financing them, and all of that. So I have a lot of hope that if people wake up and understand the use of only 100 nuclear weapons could throw enough soot and ash into the atmosphere to block out sunlight and reduce crop production to the point where 2 billion people would starve, that we could start educating people to say, we have to get rid of these things and we have to start doing it right now before something terrible happens. Okay. So, so you said the UN passed a kind of a resolution on this? It's not a resolution. This is a treaty that's been signed by 68 countries, ratified uh, by 68 countries. So that's not just a signature. That's their legislators or parliaments saying that they back this up with the full weight of their own country. Yeah. So this, uh-huh. this is a treaty. Okay. And how many of the 69 who have signed actually have nuclear weapons? Zero. 
And that's a challenge, but it's an opportunity. So I mean, for somebody who, who kind of looks at public policy stuff mm-hmm. a little bit, I'd say it's not worth much. Oh, it's worth a lot. It's a tool. It's an okay. educational tool and it's a policy pushing tool. So for one thing, people in the United States don't even know that we're developing new nuclear weapons. They don't know that 100 nuclear weapons could bring society to an end. They don't know that we did a huge amount of disarmament already. So it's an educational problem, partly. And then we can use it as a tool. For example, we could peer at banks that finance um, manufacturers of nuclear weapons. We could appear at their doorstep and we could appear in their shareholder meetings. So we could... um, divest our pension funds from weapons manufacturers, including nuclear weapons manufacturers. There's an organization called Don't Bank on the Bomb, and they advocate for things like that. In all of the cities where we visit, they're passing resolutions in support of the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons to push more and more of our state legislatures and our state representatives and and uh, senators to the federal government to say, you need to pass the treaty, sign the treaty, other countries will follow suit, and then get the ball rolling. So we're using this treaty as an educational tool and as a policy-moving tool right now, already. Okay. We're speaking with Helen Jacquard, the Golden Rule Project Manager for the Veterans for Peace. And um, they have a very kind of interesting way of trying to push the case for nuclear disarmament with a T-ship, the Golden Rule. Not the original, but a rebuilt one. So we're heading after New York. Oh, we've got five stops in Connecticut. And then we're heading all the way north to Bath, Maine. Then back to New York and up the Hudson River, through the Erie Canal, all around the Great and all around the Great Lakes. So by the time we're done, we will have done a circle around the entire eastern half of the country. So that means we will have done the the West Coast, Hawaii, and not just the East Coast, but the middle of the country as well. Well, wow. and when you go to a particular place, what do you what do you do when you get there? Well, we re- we are received usually by the mayor or city council giving a proclamation of welcome and a press conference. And then we um, give people boat tours. And we let them see the boat, get on it, touch it. It's an icon of peace after all. And then we um, give public presentations and even private presentations at Quaker meetings and schools and, um, you know, universities. There's a lot of, uh, we'll do a peace picnic or party in a park, and that help, will help draw in people that ordinarily wouldn't come to a presentation. But in between the music sets, we have talks about nuclear disarmament and the anti-nuclear organizations that are in that particular city. So we, we're moving fast. Um, we're only going to be in New York City for a week before we head on up the coast of Connecticut. And our, our final stop was is likely to be Chicago, where we'll be at the end of September, a um, little over a year since we started. Are you going on the Erie Canal? Yes. 
Ah. And, and then we'll, we'll split off of the Erie Canal and go up the Oswego, Os, Oswego Canal to Oswego that'll get us into Lake Ontario so we can sail all the way up to Toronto. So this will be our third visit to Canada, plus we've been in Mexico and Cuba. So it's an international kind of voyage now. Yeah. So when you got to New York, did you get a welcome by the mayor and the city council? Oh, not yet. That's scheduled for a, a couple of days from now. Oh. Uh, but but we will. You know, people are kind of busy sometimes. And so that, that'll happen early next week. Um, but we did have an amazing welcome, one of our best. There were, I don't know. Now, this may not sound big to you, but to us, it's a pretty good turnout. We had about 30 people show up at the dock to welcome the Golden Rule as she sailed into port. Where did it sail in? We're at Piers Landing, it's called, Piers Landing Marina. Okay. And we're right within sight of the Statue of Liberty. Okay. All right. So before I let you go, and you've been generous with your time, is there any other kind of message or any other uh, information you'd like to share with our listeners? I would. Um, for one thing, we haven't been in very many Catholic churches to give talks, and we would love to have invitations. If you go to vfpgoldenrule.org, it's got our schedule. And if you see that we're coming to your town and you're part of a Catholic church, we would love to come talk with you. And um, also, just if you go to vfpgoldenrule.org, then you'll see all of our upcoming events in, in detail. You can follow the boat. Um, there's a link there for that. And you can see a lot of resources for things that you can do to help stop the possibility of nuclear war. Good. How, many, how big a crew does the boat have? Four at a time, but we've had hundreds of crew members. Okay. Okay. Uh, are you on this one? Are you a crew on this one? No, I can't be. When I'm trying to organize 100 cities and towns, it's really hard to be on the boat because I get boat brain. <laughs> okay, that makes a lot of that makes a lot of of sense to uh, to do that. So I assume that give our give our listeners the website. Viz in Victor F. Viz in Veterans F as in four P as in peace. VFP Golden Rule dot org. Great, thank you so much, Helen Jacquard, the manager of the Golden Rule Projects for Veterans for Peace. Thank you for joining us on Just Love and welcome to New York. And I hope that the rest of the voyage and the rest of the journey goes very well because obviously. Um, World peace is something that is incredibly elusive, and it certainly is very challenging with the, um, you know, with the possibility of mass destruction by nuclear weapons. So thank you for your work. Thank you for raising up a very, very important issue. Well, thank you so much for sharing your audience with us and listen to your Pope regarding nuclear weapons. Right. Okay, thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. Um, so, Tom, you have um, you've been following this for for a, for a while, um, and uh, I mean, you're pretty familiar with this with this issue. Uh, you know, I am, Monsieur. You know, I mean, when I was uh, basically, you know, uh, in uh, college. 
um, one of the things that I did, you know, I was a peace studies major, as you know. So one of the things that we did was um, uh, we had to do an internship. So this goes way back, Monsignor, back to like 1986 or 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 or, or so. And uh, I interned for about a year at what the time was called. Well, it was located in Westchester County, which is right above New York City. But it was the Westchester Nuclear Weapons Freeze Campaign. Okay. And so what wound up happening was um, I interned there for about uh, a, a year. And, and, and what the freeze was, was it was a way, and this is before Helen had made mention kind of, of, you know, sort of like the, the, um, the negotiations between um, Secretary Gorbachev and President Reagan. This is before that. This was actually in the early 80s when kind of the United States was really building up uh, a lot of nuclear weapons. And so what happened, there was a massive march that I'm not really sure, Monsignor, if the march uh, would rival, let's say, some of the more, more recent marches we've had. But certainly in the early 80s, it was like one of the largest marches and rallies that ever happened. It was in Central Park. And, uh, and so what happened was people were gathering together to sort of say, let's stop this arms race. And out of that, the nuclear freeze movement kind of developed. And so therefore, um, we, you know, uh, had local chapters and there were chapters in just about every state. And, you know, we would try to do a lot of, um, you know, we would wind up doing a lot of, uh, of um, uh, uh, I guess, organizing around that. And so I did that, like I said, for about a year. And then I just sort of stayed on top of this. And, you know, as I said, I've, I've been kind of a member of Pax Christi uh, for many years, um, you know, and I just continue to wind up following this. But again, this is one of those things that I think a lot of people are not aware that the church has a lot to say about. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things that a lot of times doesn't necessarily rise above the radar. And so I think, uh, I think having situations like the golden rule, I think that's a great way to raise awareness. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I think having situation, you know, especially a historic ship like that, that would have sailed into and around the Marshall islands. I think that's great. So from my perspective, I think it's all, um, you know, this is all very, very positive. And, 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 uh, and I think that the golden rule being resurrected and sort of continuing on its, uh, its mission of peace, I think, uh, you know, has a lot of, uh, has a lot of religious overtones, which I think, which I think really wonderful. Too. <laughs> hey, Tom, what's the, um, I can't remember right now. What's the name of, of uh, Pete Seeger's boat that was, uh, that went, you know, that did, some of the environmental stuff on the Hudson River, remember? Oh, that's well. I think that could be River uh, River. Well, I think it's the organization is River Keepers, but I'm not sure of the name of his boat. I would say. Uh, uh, oh, I think uh, I see. It's called the Clearwater. The right. Clearwater is the name of the ship. And right. so, Tom, I think we'll we'll take a break now. And okay, uh, okay. Uh, this is just love. Just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. This is the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. To just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself, and our world will be more just, and it will be more uh, compassionate. You know, this Memorial Day weekend, a weekend in which maybe in some ways it's the beginning of summer, where people tend to make sure that they go outside. The weather hopefully is nice in different parts of the country, um, but it also is the weekend in which we tragically remember that too many people have died in war. And uh, certainly the world in which we live in, you know, is not a very peaceful place. And while, oh, maybe it's been many, many years until since we've had a world war um, and many years since there was the dropping of the nuclear bomb uh, in Japan, That doesn't mean that the world is not uh, dangerous and the wars now tend to be more local. But whether it's local, civil, uh, and war is really never civil, but if it's inside a country or whether it's across borders, still people die and people are hurt. And oftentimes at the end of the day when there's a war, it's those who are poorest and most vulnerable who suffer suffer the most. Yes, the soldiers who are in battle, and they, some of them, tragically die, but it is a, it, it, it affects people everywhere. And, you know, currently, the the tragic situation in the Ukraine is still on everybody's mind, but it's not the only place. There's violence everywhere. So on this kind of Memorial Day weekend, I think we should remember that our Catholic tradition, our Catholic tradition, while it does recognize that there are occasions when war is justified, it certainly says that war should be the last resort. Every other means to resolve conflict peacefully should be tried before a war might be justified. So anyway, this is the Memorial Day weekend. Let's keep people in our prayers. And uh, thank you for being with us on Just Love. Just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and more compassionate. Join us again next week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You're listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.